Welcome to the Alive Active Shooter Survival Training Program, where the experts break down active shooter incidents to discuss and assess each event to help you stay alive. This is your host, security expert and creator of the Alive Active Shooter Survival Training Program, Michael Julian. Welcome, everyone, to the Alive Active Shooter Survival Training Program podcast. I am the creator of the Alive Program and your host, Michael Julian. And uh, I have got a very special guest today that I'm pretty excited about, uh, a gentleman by the name of Stephen Williford. And if you recall, back in uh, November 5th of 2017, there was an active shooter that ended up killing 26 people at a church in Sutherland Springs, Texas. Um, we had a, a, a hero who was nearby who grabbed his gun and uh, actually shot and wounded uh, the gentleman. And we're not going to give his name. Stephen does not like to be associated to the active, the active assailant's name. So we're just going to call him the assailant or the active shooter and ended up stopping, uh, yelling at the end individual who then came out of the church. Stephen shot him uh, several times, then took chase when he left in his vehicle. Uh, he subsequently ended up in the middle of a field and self-terminated, which we know uh, and we teach in the program that many, many of them uh, actually do. So ladies and gentlemen, I want to uh, introduce to you Stephen Williford. Stephen, how are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. Thank you for inviting me on today. Absolutely. I can't tell you how excited I was um, when I was introduced to you. And last week we had such a nice long conversation. And I was told by uh, Jen Russell with Eagle Technology, they, they have a shot uh, wave, wave or energy sensing shot detection system for active shooter uh, situations. Uh, she said, you got to meet this guy. He's great. So when we, you and I talked on the phone, I really enjoyed the conversation and you were every bit the good old boy and sweetheart bear of a man that she told me you are. So, but your story is amazing. And that's why I'm so excited to have you on today. Um, so just to kind of recap and give the viewers an overview, uh, as I stated, November 5th, 2017, just barely over a month, uh, later than the, uh, the Las Vegas massacre. In fact, my book was ready to go to print when lost the Las Vegas massacre hit and then the Sutherland Springs massacre hit. So I pulled it from print and added those two events into the book to address uh, so people would know what to do in those situations. Uh, this man who this, this monster really, you call him evil, which he definitely is um, decided to go into this, this church where uh, apparently his uh, ex-wife and mother, ex-mother-in-law frequented and he was still married to her. He was married. Okay. Um, and, uh, went in and, and well, first of all, he pulled up and shot several hundred rounds into the front of inside of the church, I believe. Correct. I believe you said, what was it? 30 empty, 30 round or 40 empty, 30 round magazines. It was 15, 15 round magazines that he dropped out of his AR and he dropped several more out of his pistols. All right. So instead of some estimates that he may have have put like 700 rounds into the church. Yeah. Somebody told me 400, but it, it, you know, 15 times 30, that's a whole lot of rounds regardless. So yeah. So I won't, I won't, uh, I won't tell the story. I'd like you to tell a story starting from, you know, where you were when you first heard the shots and kind of what happened. Okay. And on the morning, it was Sunday morning. And uh, normally I would go to, church about 40 miles down the road in San Antonio. Uh, that morning I chose not to go to church because I was going to start an on-call at the hospital where I work. Uh, what on-call is for millennials that don't know, we carry a little pager. So what's a pager? Well, it beeps and it goes off and then you have to call into work and then you have to get, they give us 10 minutes to reply to the page and then an hour to be at work. And I live almost exactly an hour from the hospital. And so anytime we went on, uh, on call, uh, we would uh, typically go work either 24 to 30 hours extra in a week. And it would come at one or two o'clock in the morning, you get a plumbing emergency. People say, what's a plumbing emergency? If you have 
three inches of sewer running down a, a sterile hospital hallway, uh, that's an emergency. Yeah, I would say so. So you didn't, so you were on call. You didn't go to church that day. Were, were you at home or you, weren't you at your daughter's house? No, my daughter was in my house. Okay. I was at home. Um, my wife had chose to go down. My younger daughter, we were building her house from the ground up ourselves. And uh, so my wife, since I didn't go to, to church that morning, she chose to go to work on my younger daughter's house that was about five miles down the road. She was taping and floating the walls. My older daughter was living with us at the time because she was engaged to be married and she didn't want to sign another apartment agreement. Sure. Sure. So that when she got married, she could move right in with her husband. Of course. And so she was living with us. And if you're going to live with us, you have chores. She was doing dishes that morning. All right. And I was hanging out in my bedroom, checking my messages, just relaxing. And my daughter came in and said, Dad, doesn't that sound like gunfire? And you could hear rapid fire. And... uh I told her right away because your mind tries to make something normal out of something that is very abnormal. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You, who's, who expects someone to have an automatic or semi-automatic rifle, you know, well, and how many people, what's the, what's the population of, of Sutherland Springs, Texas? We are under 600 total population. So it's a very small town. Very small town. Um, and I, I told her right away, I thought it sounded like someone tapping at the window and I went over and I, the curtain back and I looked outside I didn't see anything and she said come into the kitchen the kitchen my house is an older house my bedroom is where we closed in and so it's got better insulation double pane windows and stuff when I walked into the older part of the house I knew exactly what it was and I told her it was gunfire I ran to my safe and opened my safe I didn't have a gun at the ready and the reason I did not is because I had been burglarized years before and lost a pistol, the only pistol that was outside my safe. So I made it a habit of putting things away. Because after all, I live in Sutherland Springs. Nothing's going to ever happen here. Right. And uh, so I ran to the safe and I had to get a gun out of the safe. And, and if you've got a choice of a rifle or a pistol, always choose a rifle. Yeah. So grabbed a rifle out, grabbed a magazine, and I grabbed a, a box of mag of ammunition and I popped it open and I started shoving rounds in the magazine and I called my wife and I said, where are you at? She said, I'm at Rachel's house taping floating the walls. I said, stay where you're at. She said, what's going on? I said, there's an active shooter at the church. And she said, don't go over there. Now, how did you know it was the church? Was that an assumption or could you, you just knew? It just seemed like Sunday morning, um, and the sound was coming from that direction. Uh, I didn't see anybody at that moment, but she told me, stay where you're at, and I hung up on her. And as I'm headed for the door, I'm shoving rounds. I just grabbed a handful of ammo, and I'm shoving them into the magazine. The daughter came in. So did you not have, did you not have loaded magazines? No, I did not. Okay. Uh, that was my bad, and that, that won't happen ever again. And as I ran for the door, my daughter came in. She had gotten in her car, drove up the block, and saw him shooting in through the doors of the church and then walking in. So he had already made a circle around the outside of the church, shooting in, into the building. And then he started shooting through the doors, and he walked in. And she saw him, and the shooter saw her. She turned around, and she came back said, Dad, there's a guy in black tactical gear shooting up the church. I said, did you call 911? She said, I did. They're aware of it. So right away, what that told me is the police are coming, and they're coming fast. And they're coming to an active shooter in a church. And I'm running over to that very same church with, a, with an AR-15 in my hands. What are they going to think? They're going to think it's me. So I did, But I couldn't wait. I decided... If I saw a police cruiser, I was going to throw the rifle and I was going to hit the ground with my arms out, face down, and start yelling, he's still in there. Sure. As I left the house, my daughter started to follow me. And I, 
at this moment, I'm going to tell you, I believe the Holy Spirit was all over me because I was thinking more clearly than I had ever thought in my life. And I told her, I said, go back in the house and load me another magazine. I knew she couldn't go load a magazine and bring a, a magazine out in a shooting. You just wanted her occupied so she was not in a danger zone. I wanted, I sent her back in to do what we call busy work. Right. Give her something that I knew she couldn't do. And I ran across the street. And as I was running across the street, I, I called out. And, and I believe also that, you know, the Bible talks about this. The Bible says that when Jesus entered the garden, when the two possessed men saw him, they knew who he was. The, the, the demon said, we know who you are. Have you come here to torment us before our time? And Jesus called those demons out of that, those two men and drove them into the pigs and they ran over the cliff and died. I believe it was that same voice that called the demons out in that church. Because I don't believe that anybody could do the, the horrible things that he was doing without a demon. So you, you showed up, you, do you walk or drive? I ran. Okay, so you ran over and you, you heard the shooting and you yelled into this church. As I was running across the street, I yelled out, and he, what had just happened inside the church is he had just shot Chris Workman in the back, and Chris was instantly uh, paralyzed from the waist down, and then he shot Chris's mother through the breast, and he was walking over as he had done to everybody else. He would shoot someone and then he would walk over and at point blank range, he would finish them off. A kill shot it's called. So, yeah. so he was making sure he was, he was, he was doing the ultimate power grab and that is taking, making sure that he was taking lives. Yes. And so he was walking over to finish Chris and his mother off and Chris heard me yell. And ladies in the church, they heard me yell. Now, if, if you can imagine, I'm halfway across the street, I'm 50 yards off still, and I yelled out, and they heard my yell over the gunshots, you know, and, and everything that was happening in the church, the screams and whatever, they heard my yell over that. I'm, I'm going to say that was a divine yell. And uh, so he instantly heard that yell and turned around and walked out of the church and started shooting at me. And uh, I ran behind a truck that was in one of my neighbor's yards that was right across from the church. And he hit the truck in front of me. He shattered the windshield of the car behind me and he hit the house behind me. Uh, and I heard God's voice talk to me and say, don't worry about those, just do what I sent you here for. He had on class three body armor for any viewers that might not know what class three is, class two is what police department usually carried, and it stops pistols. Class three is what the military has, and it stops rifles. Steven, I'm gonna show a photograph real quick. I'm gonna share my screen. Do you see this photo on your screen? Yeah. That's you, that's the church. Is that the AR-15 you had at the time? That is the AR-15 I had at the time. I hand-built hand built that rifle. You built that rifle. Um, yeah. That's great. And that, so that's a pretty small church. That church does not, does not seat a whole lot of people. How many people were there that day? We had 26 people. I'm sorry. It's all right. We had 26 people that were murdered and died, we had 20 more that were injured and only seven people walked out of the church without a bullet. So there was just, you know, 20, that's barely over 50 people. 53 people. 53 people and only six escaped without being wounded or killed. Seven, that's, yeah. that's amazing. So, so Stephen, you, so what did you yell when you were running across the, the, the street? You ready for something deep? <laughs> yes, I am. I yelled, hey. Hey, hey, okay, and <laughs> hey, and hey was what it took, and he immediately stopped what he was doing. It wouldn't have taken two more seconds to finish Chris and his mother off. 
but he immediately stopped what he was doing. And that's why I believe that, that God called him out of it. it was, so you yelled, hey, they all heard you. He obviously heard you. And he turned around and he, he, he started, he exited the church. And about how far away are you at this point? Well, when he first walked out the door, he was probably 30 yards and he closed that firing at me. Um, he had on a tactical bulletproof SWAT style helmet and class three body armor. I hit him in the left chest. I hit him in the abdomen. The only way I know that is the coroner's report said he had a contusion on his chest and on his abdomen. So pretty good, pretty darn good shots. Now let's go back a second. Not only are you, uh, you know, you're, you're, you like their fine apparel as we see today, but you are a lifetime NRA member. And if I, am I not mistaken, you are a, a, you are an instructor, a firearms instructor? I was. I, I, I did a youth shooting league and stuff. So yeah. you were a competitive shooter. So, so much, much, shooter. much yeah. like at the, um, at the White Settlement Church, also in Texas, where Jack Sawyer, I believe, is his last name. Wilson. Jack Wilson, thank you for correcting me. Jack Wilson, also a firearms instructor. So the two of you uh, knew what you were doing, were good with guns, because I get this asked, I get asked this question all the time in my, in my live trainings. Should teachers have guns? Should pilots have guns? Should everyone have guns? Uh, and my response is, you know, somebody who doesn't know how to use a gun is almost as dangerous as a bad guy who intends to use a gun on, on good people if they do not, I mean, Jack Wilson could very easily, if he didn't know what he was doing, have, have shot good people. Now, are we better off having firearms against bad people? Yes. However, would you agree that it can be dangerous if you don't know what to do with a firearm? Uh, you know, I've been invited to the, uh, I was at the, uh, the roundtable meeting with Governor Abbott when he went to uh, El Paso at the Walmart. There were eight concealed carry permit holder families. You broke out. up. You broke up, Stephen. Repeat that for me. Okay. There, I was at the um, at the roundtable meeting, the governor's roundtable meeting at El Paso after the El Paso shooting. That day. At the Walmart, there were eight concealed carry permit holders at the Walmart, and and out of those eight, I'm going to tell you if you fall back to your training, and if yes. you do not train yourself, I believe they should have had guns there, and I believe that yes, they would have protected their families. But if you're going to run into actual gunfire you will have to have better training than just your average guy. If, if all you ever do is qualify to carry a gun, just remember qualification is the bare minimum yep. acceptable yep. to be able to carry that gun. I don't think that you are qualified to confront an active shooter. Right. So, so I think we agree that if uh, somebody is going to carry a weapon and decides to uh, to act out against somebody, they should know their, their limitations and they should be, they should be trained to use it properly. I, I personally believe that. I believe they, uh, first, if you're not going to train, protect yourself, protect your family, but go no farther. Yeah. Uh, All right. So I apologize for the, for the segue. All right. So, so back to the incident. So, so this, this person, this evil human, barely human being uh, decides he hears hay from you. He, he was going to do kill shots on Chris Workman and his mother, but instead he heard you and he decided to come out. So he exits the, the uh, church. And now are you in the open or had you gotten behind a vehicle at this point? Well, if he can Nope. It's okay, buddy. Wait, I just handed hey, it away. Hey, you're a popular guy, and you, people want to talk to you. It's okay, but I've got, but I got you. So go ahead. Okay. So he exited the building. He was probably thirty yards from me, and he was shooting at me. And uh, right away, I was running across my neighbor's yard. At that point, I ran behind my neighbor's truck, and uh, he put a bullet in the the rear quarter panel of the neighbor's truck, and I ran toward the 
front of it and use truck for, for cover. And I put my rifle across the hood of the truck and engaged him. And, uh, you know, something about a 6.2 liter Hemi felt right nice. To yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, uh, and that's when he hit the car's windshield behind me, the house. And, uh, as he came up, I hit him in the left chest and I hit him in the abdomen. He immediately stopped shooting at me when he hit, when he got hit and ran for his vehicle. He had a gray Ford Explorer. It was sitting in the middle of the street and uh, it had the engine running and the driver's side door open. He had planned his escape. And when he turned to get I into, when he turned to get into his vehicle, he exposed his side and class three body armor has a plate in the front, plate in the back, and Velcro's across the side. I was able to put a shot in his side and high in his legs. And he got in the vehicle and slammed the door and he put two more shots through the side window. And I saw those shots open up and the glass falling. Everything was in real slow motion. Yeah, I would imagine that's probably, uh, your, and your adrenaline was at, at maximum output at this point. Oh yeah, I, I was I was cranking on adrenaline, uh, and I couldn't see him from the reflection in the window. So I put a shot where I perceived his head to be, and the coroner's report said he had a split across his forehead. Now again, he had on bulletproof helmet. That was a that was a heck of a shot. Just and uh, and he accelerated at that moment, turned the corner, and just ran him as fast as he could down the the highway away, I ran out into the middle of the street, out from behind the truck, and by the time I got into the middle of the street, he was probably 150 yards away and, and still leaving. And I put one last shot through the back windshield that shattered the back windshield. And police say that shot went through the back window, penetrated the driver's side seat, and it hit him just right of the left shoulder blade. So, Stephen, let me ask you this. About how many shots total do you think you fired? I know. I shot six shots. So, you, you shot six shots, five of which no. actually... Count them. One in the chest, one in the abdomen, one in the side, one in the legs, one across the forehead, and one in the back seat. So of the six shots you fired, you made contact with five of them. Six of them. All six. So you actually got him through the back of the seat as well? Yes. It hit him just right of the left shoulder blade. So that's, that's some Hollywood Clint Eastwood shooting right there. That's, that's, um, not, that's not – most people, for, for the audience, most people would never be able to have that kind of record now again, you're you're a former you know you're a competitive shooter. You you had a red dot red dot sight, but let's face it, that's an amazing feat. I built that rifle. Yeah. I know that rifle. When I opened that safe, there was no choice. There was no question because I used that rifle shooting bowling pins and moving. Yeah. And some of the bowling pins are different colors, and you're supposed to leave those up. So clearly training is important. And, and yes, we are both very much second amendment advocates. Um, but we're not extremists to say again, that everybody should have a gun and shoot and be a hero. It, it's not practical. There are many people who should not have tried to do what you did, but you are skilled, you, you are talented and you are experienced. So it made sense that you did that. And that's why you had the outcome that you did. I, I, I believe that God creates certain men for certain purposes. And I think he creates different people for different purposes. And I think uh, I was trained for that moment. Yeah. Uh, I trained when I, when I was a competitive pistol shooter. One, we had a five team. Uh, we had five person team. And uh, one of our team members was a former army ranger and he was a San Antonio police officer that trained SWAT teams. And we trained, coincidentally enough, how to respond when you, you, you have body armor, when you're shooting against body armor. And sure. he said, hit, hit him in the body armor and look for your chance. He said, put one in the side, 
one in the hips, one in the legs. Yep. We train for that moment. Why would a plumber train for that moment? Yeah. Well, I, I would say that uh, I agree with you. That's a great point. And I, and I think that uh, our, our mutual friend, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, would probably call you a sheepdog to the utmost uh, maximum amount. Uh, thank goodness for people I've like you. On this, I've spoke on the same stage with Colonel Grossman. Yep. I'm honored. He's quite a man. Uh, and, I, and I talk a lot about his books and and quote in my book, I, I quote the, you know, the sheep, the wolf and the sheepdog concept that he admittedly, he says, look, I didn't come up with it. Some crusty old uh, Vietnam vet told me, and I just kind of made it, made it known to the, to the world. But uh, I, I even go one step farther because I, I tell people the ones that are the sheepdogs, just understand uh, you're a sheepdog and you take care of the sheep, whatever sheepdog needs a shepherd and Christ is my shepherd. He takes care of me, he watches over me, and, and makes sure that I'm in line, commands me. That's beautifully put, Stephen. Nicely, nicely said. All right, so so you you fired as so he leaves. Now this is this is where it gets also very interesting. So so uh, there is another hero in this story, a guy by the name of Johnny Lang Langdenford, I think it is. Lang Langendorf. 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 That's a fine German name. So tell me what happened after this assailant took off and you're in the middle of the street shooting at him. Now, now what do you do? Well, I'm standing there and I'm watching him disappear over the hill and thinking it, it can't end like this. You know, I can't even, it can't end like this. And I'm watching him disappear and I turned and I looked to my left and off to my left is a, is a pickup truck that had been sitting there at the stop sign during the whole shooting. And, and I ran over and I tapped on the window and said, that man just shot up the, the church and we have to stop him. Any sane person in this world would have just accelerated and left me standing there. To, you know, you kind of get this sight of me being barefoot in the middle of the street with an AR-15 in my hand and tapping on the window and said, that, that guy just shot up the church and we have to stop him. He just saw the shootout in the street. He was on 911 in his phone. Any sane person would have just accelerated and left me there. But this is Texas we're talking about. We're not That's known right. for our sanity. Well, and you're not known <laughs> for, for being light on cojones either. You guys definitely, you know, so, you're, you're manly men. So that's good. So go ahead. The next thing I hear was the locks on his truck co come open. And I crawled up into the cab with a long, tall Texan. He's probably 6'3". He's got on a cowboy hat, a gray cowboy hat, big feather in it. Got a toothpick hanging out of his mouth, of all things. Got a long horn skull tattooed in the middle of his neck with the horns running up under his ears. I mean, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna show. About his I'm going to show a quick picture of him, Stephen, if that's okay. Let me, let me just show you. Well, uh, I'm going to share my screen here Please and show do. you. So this People is. People need to know what I was looking at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, the, I, yeah. So this is Johnny Langendorf here on the right. You see him? That's Johnny. Yeah. So, so he is a tatted up, tall, skinny Texas cowboy. And, and essentially what happened was, um, he's sitting there watching this whole thing go down and then you run over to him and, and he immediately unlocks the doors and you jump in and you guys take chase, correct? He turns a corner and he just barrels down the street. Did he even he's say, on, on did he phone. say, did he say anything to you or did he just start driving? He didn't say a word to me. He's, he's talking on the phone. He's talking to 911. They put him through to dispatch. So he didn't even say a word to me. He unlocked the door and he stayed on the phone and he turned the corner and he accelerated. And we're blasting down the road and we're doing everything. We ran across 87. He didn't even look. And uh, 87 is one of the main roads that go from San Antonio to the coast. And so a lot of oil field around here. A lot of trucks go down that road and stuff. And he didn't even look. We just darted across 87, <coughs> full tilt. And at this point, I'm thinking, 
you know, I just grabbed a handful of ammunition. I don't even know how many I have left. I don't know how many I fired at that moment. So I dropped the magazine and I'm looking, I got one round in the top of the magazine, one in the chamber. I got two rounds left. Right, right. I picked it back up in my rifle and I told Johnny, I said, tell them, hurry, hurry. I got two rounds left and he's still got on class three body armor. So we're blasting down the road and we're passing, we're splitting cars. And Johnny said in an interview later that he was doing over 95. And I'm going to tell you, I believe that 110%. That yeah. was an intense ride. Yeah, I'll bet. Putting cars and he was doing everything that truck could go and we're we're trying to tell 911 when we cross a intersection, intersection. or something sure. okay we just crossed this intersection they said do you see him yet we still didn't see him we're just running down the road in the general direction that he went and uh, so just as we got to 772 we saw him and I saw him in the distance. I said, that's him, gray SUV, the back windshield's missing, that's him, that's him. And he told that to 911 and I turned and I looked at him. And again, I didn't even know his name at this point. I'd never met him before in my life. And I turned and looked at him and I said, you know, if we catch him, you're gonna have to put him off the road. Very first words Johnny said to me, he turned and looked at me and he said, yep, I already figured that. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, who am I riding with? <laughs> <laughs> and Johnny's probably thinking, you know, I always wanted to try a pit maneuver. Yeah. But uh, he um, continued on, and we, he started slowing down. And I'm thinking at this point, okay, my shots made a difference. Yep. He's slowing down, and, and all I can think of is this is going to have to be good. He, he Pulled off to the right-hand side of the road. You got, two, the you got two rounds left at this point. I got two rounds left at this okay. point. And he pulled off, in the, off, off into the bar ditch on the right-hand side of the road. And there was, a, uh, there was a curve sign right in front of him. He pulled and stopped there. And I thought, this is, this is it. This is the moment of truth. And I reached over. I had the window down, the passenger side window down already. I stuck the rifle through the window. I opened up the door and I pushed it open. And I was going to step out and I was going to use the door as a shield and re-engage him. And uh, before my foot hit the ground, he accelerated again. He hit the sign in the middle of his vehicle. It flipped over the vehicle. He went right back up onto the highway. And Johnny accelerated. I barely got my foot in the door. and shut and uh, we started chasing him once again and he went about three quarters of a mile up the road and this time he swerved off to the left hand side off the road through a fence and about 50 yards out into a field and stopped and i turned and i looked at johnny and i said johnny um just get down below the dash right i said told him, i didn't know his name i said just get below the dash stay out of gunfire just stay down. And uh, I got up and I put the rifle over the hood of the truck. And I started yelling rude obscenities. And I usually don't use that kind of language. I think God will forgive me. I was under the circumstances. Okay. Yeah. I think you're, I think you'll still be welcomed into heaven after that one. That's I was all right. Pretty angry. I was pretty angry. And Johnny got out and did just whatever millennial in this world would do. Holds up his cell phone. <laughs> started videoing me. Sure. <laughs> I was like, really? That's what you're going to do in this? <laughs> I just wanted him out of the gunfire. You know, he gets out video. And later, the police confiscated his phone and told him uh, his phone was evidence and didn't give him his video back. Did that video ever, did that video ever make it into the public? Because I didn't see it. Well, some of the video later made it into the public after it was all over with sure. me sitting on the side of a guardrail and talking to the police department. Okay. But uh, I held that rifle over the hood. That's the second Dodge truck that day that I stood behind. And uh, I stood behind that truck for five to seven minutes waiting for police. I'm honestly a little surprised Dodge has not hit you up to make a commercial about the strength uh, or bullet resistance of Dodge trucks. Well, I've, I've actually, uh, I, I'm actually a Ford guy. Yeah. Okay. I'm a Chevy guy. It's okay. 
Well, and me and me and the guy that we had the shootout with in the yard always we grew up together. And I'm a Ford guy. He's a Dodge guy. His his car was a uh, a Dodge Challenger, and that the windshield got smashed in. The truck was a a Dodge truck, you know. And uh, I always bantered back and forth with him about Ford. I have a Mustang, and uh, I actually have a GMC truck, but. Uh, we always banter back and forth and I always said Dodge there's no reason to ever own a Dodge and that day I had to call him back and say I am sorry for <laughs> I said I found a good use for a Dodge he said what's that <laughs> I said, they stop bullets really well <laughs> a barricade a barricade I, I said you know that's that 6.2 liter uh Hemi man that, that's a lot of a lot of iron between you and a bullet you yep. know yep so, so anyway I I um he told me, he says, brother, you can use my truck for whatever you want it for from now on. <laughs> but I'm, I'm holding the rifle over the hood of the truck. Five to seven minutes, the police were behind me. Wow. So my, my community didn't have five to seven minutes left. Yeah. So, so you were, so you're, you, you, you're bared down over the hood of the, of the truck, of Johnny's truck. And are you not seeing any movement inside the vehicle at this point? I couldn't see, he was parked almost, it wasn't quite straight away from me, but at an angle, and, and I couldn't see in. Uh, but I, I kept that red dot on, right on that side window. But I couldn't, and side window was gone, so was the back window, and I couldn't see any movement. Turned out what had happened is he called his father and his wife and told them that he had done something horrible and he had been shot multiple times and was not going to make it. And he turned the pistol on himself and shot himself. Now, I didn't hear that. But that's what the police say happened. He shot and killed himself. I waited there for five to seven minutes, watching and waiting. And finally, I heard, off to my left, a PA system say, driver, get out of your vehicle with your hands up. And I turned and I looked to my left and I could see a, a police cruiser up there about 50 yards from me. And I'd been so focused on what was going on down there, I didn't see or hear him pull up. And he said it again, he, and I looked at him, he said it again, he said, driver, get out of your vehicle with your hands up. And I thought, okay, the police are here. I don't want any mistakes. And, and, you know, I've taught defensive courses for 20 odd years. And, and I tell people when, if you ever use deadly force, expect to go to jail. And when the police get there, comply. No matter what, comply. Absolutely. So I laid my right, that officer wants to go home to his family. And he doesn't know who you are. So I laid that rifle on the hood of the truck and I started back to the back of the truck with my hands up, palms out toward him, hands up and started walking back. He made eye contact with me, looked at me and he keep that mic again. He said, not you. <laughs> I was like, okay, I went back over. I picked up my rifle and held it at gunpoint again. You know, you bet. Uh, he realized that I still had a tactical advantage over him because I was 50 yards away with a rifle. He was a hundred yards away from the shooter. And with, a had, yeah. with a handgun. Yeah. And so I waited probably another five to five minutes or so. And then other officers started showing up and they started pulling out rifles. And I'm like, okay, I am done now. I don't, I'm, I'm finished. Sure. By this time, adrenaline dump is starting to let go and I'm starting to shake. And I pulled the rifle down. I put it on the, the toolbox of Johnny's truck. And I, I started holding on to the bed of the truck and trying to get my feet into the shade. November, oh, you're barefoot at this point. November 5th, 2017, it was 90 degrees that day. Texas. And, and, and the pavement's getting hot on my feet. And so I waited at the truck and they formed a police line back 50 yards back farther from me. And uh, I, I waited probably for another 45 minutes trying to figure out what they're trying to do because I, I have no communication with anybody. Finally, I decided, you know, the guy's probably dead by now. He's probably bled out. You know, I don't know what's going on. 
but I'm going to run back to the police line. And I started to run and they said, no, 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 no. Stay where you're at. They brought up a police cruiser for me to run back to the police line and use for cover to get back to the police line in case the guy starts shooting again. And I got there and then I realized they were waiting on a drone. They brought it in a drone and they flew it over there to see what was going on. And uh, I'm sitting there my, hopping with my feet and my officer walked by and I said, uh, I, and I could see my wife at the other line they had set up about 200 yards down the road. Yeah. I said, can I go back there and ask my wife for some shoes? He said, no, you need to stay here. I said, but my feet are hot. He opened up the back of his police cruiser and he said, you can sit in the back of my police car. I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, no, no, thanks. I'm good. <laughs> my feet are fine, you know. <laughs> First, I couldn't calm down enough to sit out. Sure. And uh, second, I didn't want to be in the back of that police car. <laughs> I figured I was going to end up cuffed and stuffed at some point anyway, yeah. but didn't want to rush that at all. Sure. <laughs> I didn't yeah. want to make it well. They had to shut the door. So, but, the, so they brought the drone in, and at that point, they'd established that the guy had self-terminated, correct? Or at least yeah. he was no longer a threat. Yes. And then you, you mentioned you thought you, you, was there concern based on stories you might have heard, horror stories of what happened to good people when they do the right thing? Was there ever a concern that you might get in trouble? Or did you know that you're in Texas and they're smart enough to not prosecute or go after a good guy that just saved people's lives? Again, I, I had taught defensive courses for 20 odd years. And I told people, when teaching these courses, if you ever have to use deadly force, expect to go to jail. It needs yeah. to be that important. It needs to be that important that you expect to go to jail. I, I figured they would figure it out in the end, but I thought I was going to get taken down and, and booked and you know, probably get bailed out pretty quickly. But I thought I was going to go to jail. I, I honestly did. And I was okay with that because you did the right thing. The consequences of not doing it would have been greater. And, and, you know, if, if I have to go to jail and fight it out in court, I figured we could do that. Absolutely. But it wasn't to happen. Um, and I, I did what, you know, I, I do work with us law shield and they tell you, um, something like this happens, shut up and lawyer up. I didn't do that. I had diarrhea of the mouth. <laughs> well, and I think that's a normal psychological reaction, especially after said so you want to talk. Your your brain is like, oh my god, I got to talk about this, you know, because it's like such a a huge event and it's traumatic. It's going to be traumatic to anybody, whether you're the good guy or a spectator. I mean, Johnny even was probably like, wow, did that really just happen? So that's a natural thing. But so you so you got diarrhea of the mouth that you said, but but again, we're I gave my statement to five different law enforcement offices down on the crash scene. And they held me there for four hours. And they finally told me I could go after the Texas Rangers showed up. And I gave my story to the Texas Rangers, the eight, eight, uh, ATF and everybody else. Uh, uh, finally, they told me I could go, and I started walking back to my car, and uh, this lady came up behind me. Mr. Wolford, I need to talk to you for a minute, and I turned around and looked, and she came up. She gave me a bear hug, and she said, how many, she said, uh, I had friends in that church, and I said, how bad is it? And she said, it's really bad. Nobody could ever give me a, an answer except it's really bad, and I I, I said, I am so sorry. She said, she said, if I can be of any assistance to you, call me. I'm the DA of Wilson County. I was like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, that's a good friend to have on your side. Maybe I'm not going to jail today after all. No, and subsequently, I think you've, I mean, everybody essentially just agrees and you've even gotten been recognized by the governor, right? You're a, you're a hero. You saved people's lives. Uh, there, there is no question based on my 
my research, my concept, the Alive program, what I teach, the active shooter's intention, his sole intention is to kill as many people possible in a short amount of time as possible. As long as he had ammunition left, we know he would have continued killing had you not interrupted that by yelling, hey. Yeah, and he had other guns in the vehicle and multiple loaded magazines, the police said. Uh, and I want to I want to shift gears and talk about some other people here today. Uh, and and I already mentioned Julie Workman. Uh, Julie Workman was in the church. Uh, like I mentioned before, she was shot through the breast. Right. <clears throat> Julie Workman was an emergency room nurse. And when the shooter left, the first thing she did is she got up. And she saw a little five-year-old girl that had just been swinging around her legs before the church. She saw this little five-year-old girl dead. And she started screaming. Gunny Macias. And nobody seems to know who Gunny Macias, know his first name. They just know him by Gunny. He's a gunnery sergeant in the Marine Corps, correct? Hoorah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's all they call him is Gunny Macias. Gunny was shot five times in the abdomen. Gunny couldn't even stand up. But Gunny, real quick, first thing after the shooter left, he yelled out in a booming voice, hallelujah, hallelujah, even in this, praise God. And then Julie screamed, and he looked at Julie, he said, Julie, wake up. You were created for this moment. None of this took God by surprise. We need you. And Julie, still bleeding from her own wounds, with her son laying on the floor, paralyzed, started tying tourniquets and saving lives. And then a little girl came up to Gunny and said, Gunny, I'm scared. And Gunny started singing, Jesus loves me with her. What a Marine. What a man. What a man. What a man. Um, 17-year-old Zach Poston, senior in high school, he had already signed up to be a Marine. He was on delayed entry. He was going to be a Marine. He was about to graduate, move on. He uh, got shot seven times, got shot through the arms and the legs, and, and they dug bullets out of his, his torso and his Grandmother crawled on top of him when he could no longer stand. His grandmother crawled on top of him, and, and the shooter shot and killed her on top of him, saving his life. Marines don't want Zach Poston anymore because he's held together by screws and pins and plates. Me, I'm thinking, um, man, that's one of the best Marines you'll ever find, somebody that can be shot that many times. That's durable. Yeah. Zach's grandmother died on top of Zach. Uh, it's the first officer that was on the scene, uh, Hank Farnett. Hank came running in, blazing in with his rifle, ready to do battle, thinking the shooter was still there. And then when Hank found out the shooter was gone already, Hank had been collecting for years. Um, trauma kits with with tourniquet kits and trauma kits blood clotting and stuff and putting them in his car he was buying them out of his own pocket and the other officer says why are you spending that money on that you expecting some sort of mass shooting and hank used to always say you never know what might happen on that day he opened the trunk of his squad car and distributed out life-saving kits to the people that were there before the EMTs got there. And my very own hospital, University Hospital, the one I worked for, they were running a drill on that day. They were running an active shooter drill on that day. And the nurses and doctors were called in and they were complaining, why are we running a drill today when we could be at church with our families. Why on a Sunday? And then the real call came out. And since they were all hands on deck already, they were able to get all 20 ORs up and running before the first victim showed up. 
That's amazing. And if you can't see God's hand in on all that, you are willfully looking the other way. Yeah, that that's uh, that is amazing. And wow, uh, yeah, I could definitely see uh, see that that point right there, Stephen. So let let's shift gears just a little bit. Uh, uh, Chris Workman has since he's paralyzed and he he senses confined to a wheelchair. Accurate? Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. And so what something you're doing and that I'm jumping on board with is t- tell us about what you want to do for, uh, for Chris. Chris has a beautiful family. He has uh, a little girl, Edie. Edie was seven years old when the shooting happened. Um, and uh, his beautiful wife, he is the praise ministry leader of the church and also the youth minister of the church. And he gets up even after the shooting. Uh, Chris gets up to, in his wheelchair, plays his guitar, and, and leads the singing. And then does the, uh, the high schoolers, uh, the youth groups, classes and stuff. Uh, and Colby, of course, his wife is right, right behind him on all of this, helping out and stuff. They've for so long given back to our community. And even after the shooting, he still does it. He's got a zeal for life that everybody should just be. He's on a uh, paraplegic hockey team now. Wow. And he just finished up the last race of the season where he's racing uh, carts because he races carts. He used to race a car, but now he has no control over his legs, but these carts he can race all controlled with his hands. And so he's out there racing. He's, not let this define him. But, but, but and Chris, our, but Chris, so Chris is not only a survivor, but he's an inspiration to anybody who, who is, ends up with any kind of situation that they can either make a decision to continue living and maybe even live better than before, because that certainly puts things in perspective or give up on life, but you want to help him. And how are we going to help him, Stephen? Chris right now lives in a, uh, a trailer home and he cannot roll his wheelchair down and get into it's it's actually a a real problem getting into his daughter's bedroom even because the narrow doorways and narrow halls we are going to raise money and we are going to build chris workman a brand new handicap accessible home and we're working on that and not because we feel sorry for chris it's because he is such an inspiration and we want to we want to make it where Chris and Colby can live as much of a normal life as they can. Sure, and this this situation, as horrible as it is, is a great opportunity in many ways. Because one, Chris is an inspiration. The guy is amazing, and he's not he he he's not given up. He's going full speed ahead because he knows how quickly that can change. So he's an inspiration to everybody. Let me tell you a little bit about what Chris did for me on after that day, because I had a hard problem uh, dealing with survivor's guilt. If I, and I told Chris, if I would have been there 15 seconds sure. earlier, Chris, 15 seconds earlier, yep. you'd still be walking. Yep. And Chris told me, he said, you didn't get there on your time. You got there on God's time. Yeah. He said, if it only costs the use of my legs in this world to bring people to Christ, then it was a price well worth paying. And he helped me deal with the fact that I wasn't there as fast as what I could have, should have been or whatever. Uh, I, I, I wanted to, I felt bad that I was unprepared. I was unready to, to be out the door faster. Yeah. And he helped me deal with that himself. Well, I can certainly understand your, your struggle with that uh, because of the type of human being you are. That is probably a natural reaction to wish you had been able to do more. The fact of the matter is you did everything in your power and you were, you successfully stopped this thing. So, but I get it. You know, I get it. It's easy to say, but you had to live through it. And uh, I, I just, I can't say how much, I mean, I can't tell you how much how I respect you and, and, and so glad Chris helped me deal with that. Yeah. Well, that's who he is. The, the guy is, he's amazing. There's no question. He's an amazing man. And, and we are having a fundraiser in, if you're in the San Antonio area 
or if you even want to travel in. Uh, we're we're going to have a fundraiser at Texas Pride Barbecue. Uh, Texas Pride's been on the Food Network. Look them up. They're a great barbecue place. April 26th, right? April 26th. And you're going to have live bands. And I, I did I, if I'm not mistaken, you said that, uh, who is it's going to sign a guitar? George Strait? Uh, we're, we're, we've got a guitar. Uh, and we're going to try to send it to him to get signed. Uh, I would imagine he will probably jump all over that because George Strait is quite a guy himself. So he, He's an amazing man. Uh, and we're going to try to get George Strait to sign a guitar. Uh, somebody has already uh, donated a Harley Davidson uh, 2014 CDO. Who donated that? Uh, he wishes to remain totally anonymous. I think that is amazing. I was going to give him a shout out, but if he's that guy, then I think that's even more he, admirable. He told me he would meet me, but he did not want to meet anybody else. Amazing. He, he, he wants to remain totally anonymous, but it's a 2014 CDO. It's got 5,000 miles on it. Only and place ready for its first oil change. That is phenomenal. And, and, uh, and so how much, Stephen, how much money are you trying to raise here? I'm going to have to raise about, I can't say I'm, we are going to have to raise about $300,000. Okay, about 300000 Now, since you and I spoke on Friday, I uh, went to my Facebook account and I created a fundraiser for Chris Workman. Uh, and so I am also going to be promoting and campaigning to gain, earn whatever I can uh, that is going to go direct to that fund. I'm also, I also offered, and uh, we're working now, you and I are working on setting up a training probably in San Antonio. How far away is that from uh, Sutherland Springs? San Antonio is about 40 miles from Sutherland Springs. Okay. So 40 miles, maybe an hour drive or so. Uh, we're we're going to put together, I'm going to come out and do a, a, an, a live training and we're going to sell tickets, but all the proceeds are going to go towards towards this uh, this uh, this great cause to get uh, get Chris a, a nice wheel accessible wheelchair accessible house for he and his family we uh, we also if you want to donate directly yep. uh, you can go to military warrior support foundation okay San Antonio military warrior support foundation and just look Chris's uh, name up to make sure it goes to him up at the right hand top of their home page it says donate Chris work now, if you uh, write a check and send it in, make sure you put on the memo, Chris Workman yeah. on memo. So that so money goes will, to that cause. That will go to Chris's house because uh, they do homes. They have done 200 homes for disabled veterans. It's a great cause. And, uh, so we're funneling the money through their 501c3. So it is a tax write-off for you if you send a check in. Uh, it, it's a it's a great opportunity, and and they are allowing us to use their 501c3 to channel work in, uh, money in, so we can build Chris a house. So anybody interested, and I know a lot of my viewers will be interested because they're that kind of people. Uh, either go to my Facebook page and look up the Chris Workman um, donation, charitable donation thing, whatever, put that in the search or whatever, and you'll find it and, and donate that way. All that money will go to Chris's, uh, or go to, um, military warriors support foundation and make sure you, you tag Chris Workman. So that money goes. And then, uh, and then, then tw the 26th at, uh, at, uh, Texas pride barbecue in San Antonio, uh, that's going to be quite a, quite a party and a heck of a great event. So anybody in that five, area, five live bands, five live bands, that's a party. So barbecue, that, huh? barbecue and beer, barbecue and beer and good people. Good, good old, good old boys from Texas. I'll be there. Uh, yeah. governor, uh, governor Abbott said he will probably be. Yeah. I am giving, uh, uh, I, so part of my live training program, I actually have a, uh, instructor certification course quarterly and the 24th and 25th is my instructor certification course. Uh, so there's very little chance I'll be able to wrap up two 10 hour days and then fly out there. Uh, but if there's any way I can, or if I have to postpone it because of this coronavirus thing, um, then I will do that. And, uh, I will, What's that? Cheap flights right now. Very cheap flights. Yeah. Round trip to Hawaii, like $216. So, uh, 
but you know, they may be shutting everything down so we can't even leave our houses soon. You know, they just, I went to the gym this morning and they said, yeah, so far we're still letting people in, but we may, you know, in Los Angeles and New York, they're shutting gyms and restaurants and everything else down. So. It's ridiculous. I think that's all overblown, but that's another story. (laughs) But you and I are on the same page and I think two or three weeks from now, we're going to look back and go, okay, well, glad that's over. Um, But we'll see. Hopefully it won't be as bad as everybody, as the, as the media say. They shut down the NRA national convention. I was supposed to deliver my alive program at two different conferences in Las Vegas over the next three weeks. And both those conferences got, uh, got postponed. So uh, my schedule just opened up and I'm actually going to be able to get some work here in my office done for a change, but because normally I'm traveling teaching, which I do love to do. But Stephen, listen, I want to, I want to, before I close out, I want to offer you an opp- opportunity. Is there anything else you want to say? Uh, and I know, I know your message, uh, but you know, if you want to restate the fact that God had his hand in, in this and, and, you know, thanks to him, that's, you know, it went as well as it did because I know you won't take all the credit. But is there anything else you want to say or anything I didn't cover or ask you that you want to talk about? I, I, I would like to let people know that I do speak to churches and I do seminars as you do. Uh, could come out and do one in California if you find a place to do it. But uh, if anyone wants to book me, it's Stephen Williford at um, StephenWilliford.com. And that's W-I-L-L-E-F-O-R-D. S-T-E-P-H-E-N. Right. W-I-L-L-E-F-O-R-D. And you were a plumber by trade, but you've since backed away from that because of the demand for you to go out and talk about what's happened and teach other people, correct? I helped churches set up safety response teams. I I talked to churches about preparedness. I believe that uh, you can teach a mindset. Uh, And it takes a mindset. It takes, it takes, a thought process. You have to decide this today. And if you decide it, then it's time to start going out and getting trained. Yeah. Because if you don't get trained, you will not run into gunfire. Yeah. I so Stephen, I, I love that that you say that because as my viewers know, I teach, I very, very strongly advocate uh your mindset being security mindset up to an event and then the survival mindset when an event begins. Because like I've said before a million times, uh, you could have your body and what you know what to do, could, you could be perfect. But if your brain is not at the uh, maximum efficiency to carry out those physical actions, you're not going to be as effective. So yeah, mindset is something that we all, you and I and, and Grace Grossman, we all advocate greatly. After, after the El Paso shooting, I was, I was working with my apprentice and he said, so what if you would have been in the Walmart and didn't have your gun? And I said, wait, uh, I don't understand the question. <laughs> it would he never said, have happened. Yeah. He said, no, what if you were in the Walmart, didn't have your gun? I said, okay, I'll play your silly little game. I forgot to put my pants on in the morning. Yeah. And so my, my gun was hanging on my pants. I forgot to put them on and I was in the Walmart and it happened. I said, the first thing I would do, guy comes walking in with an AK-47, starts shooting people. I'm going to run past you and I'm going to grab you say, let's go to the sporting goods. I'm going to bash out the window in the sporting goods. I'm going to pull out a, a Mossberg shotgun. I'm going to take the butt of it, bash out the, the glass and grab the ammunition. And you're going to do the same. And I said, and, and you and I, we're going to go get him. Yep. He said, wow, I never would have thought about going to the sporting goods. I said, because you think like a victim. I think like a survivor. I look at things while they happen. I look at things when I walk into a restaurant and think what would happen if this, if somebody came through that door, I know where the exits are. I know where, and I know how I could react to that because I've already started thinking about things like that in my head. Yep. Start getting the mindset of a survivor and never take the mindset of a victim. Yep. Absolutely. I used to say fight like your life depends on it because it does. But then I found a T-shirt. Somebody else said it. And, it said, and my, I bought the T-shirt. It said, fight like you're the third monkey on the ramp to Noah's Ark. And brother, it's beginning to rain. <laughs> that's, that's clever. Definitely. Uh, what you described uh, as far as going places and that I teach in my program, I call being proactively reactionary, which is kind of a, 
kind of an odd thing because they're two opposites, but basically you're being proactive in what your reaction will be. You're already creating a plan for specific scenarios. And that's essentially what you did. And if you're ever in a Walmart now, I don't know about Texas, but unfortunately I believe in California, the Walmarts have stopped <laughs> selling weapons and ammunition. They still sell ammunition, but I don't know that they, I'm not even sure they sell ammunition in California anymore. I know Arizona. I've got a house in Arizona, so I buy my ammo at the Walmart there. But um, Texas, they sell. They don't sell any handgun ammunition. They don't sell any rifle ammunition, like five five six or or five six two or two two three. Yeah, yeah, two two three. Uh, they but they do sell shotguns and they sell shotgun ammo. You know, which uh, are very effective. Which in in close quarters like a Walmart, I got no problem with that. You and Mossberg would love me. You bet, you bet, you bet. Well, Stephen, listen, I want to thank you so much. Um, you are, I mean, just good through and through a pure hearted, God fearing, great man. And I, I appreciate and respect you for, and I know that that's makes you uncomfortable, but that's because of the kind of person you are. But fact of the matter is the world is a better place because of people like you on it. And it, it is an honor to, to, to get to know you. I, I hope that our relationship will continue to grow and I will be able to help Chris Workman and we can work together and, and teach people how to survive because I can teach people all day long what to do, but you actually have done it. So you're about as good a teacher as there, are, there is. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing, continuing on and uh, promoting each other because uh, like I say, we're, we're on the same team. Even if we both teach something and we charge for it, uh, we're not competitors. We're on the same team because at the end of the day, the most important thing is saving lives, not making money. Just, just, um, just so you, just so you know, I plan to be out there long enough and screaming loud enough. I put both of us out of business. How's that? That's what I say too. My, my, our, our, our mission is to put ourselves out of business. So I'm with you on that. Uh, well, in the meantime, uh, anybody interested in, in the program, in the book or anything, the website is uh, www.activeshootersurvivaltraining.com. You can book in-person trainings. You can book the online course. You can purchase the book or, or attend the uh, instructor certification course. Stephen, again, thank you so very much for, for being on today. You and I will continue to talk. If there's any way I can make it to that April event, I will be there um, again Anybody, anybody interested, go to Military Warrior Support Foundation and... Uh, and uh, top right-hand corner, it says Chris Workman up there. Go, go look for Chris okay. Workman. Go to my, um, go to my uh, Facebook page, Michael Julian or Active Shooter Survival Training, and, uh, and donate. And uh, until the next time, my friend, thank you for everything you do. We'll keep fighting the good fight, and um, hopefully we will put ourselves out of business. Amen, brother. All right, Stephen. Thank you, sir.